forehead against the window and watch the pretty Sussex countryside go by. All those people in all those houses. How many of them were teenage girls dreaming of escape? Thousands. How many would make it? Not even a hundred. Her ordeal for the moment was over. The police had seen the stained sheets and her long, long legs in her red shoes. They had listened silently to her tearful recitation of his medical history, including the two small heart attacks before she met him. She had mumbled something about his wife in Richmond. It was all she had been able to do to stop herself jumping up and offering to break the news to Madame Anstey herself. Oh, and by the way, Lorraine. His last words were, I'm coming, you bitch. She leaned forward in her first-class train seat, urging the iron horse on. The country was for cows. The country was where you ran away from or retired to, not where you lived when you were young and almost beautiful. She loved the city. She needed the city. She belonged to the city. And now the city belonged to her. Once, all she had had of the city had been a map of the London Underground. She knew that in the eyes of her friends and family, her maps and calendars would mark her out as being touched with something even worse than nymphomania, ambition. In the morning, she wept to find herself beached in the backwater of this pretty west country town she had been condemned to birth in. She knew that the country would never claim her. She was relieved of all illusions before she reached the age of consent, when she shed her tight and shriveled adolescent skin and emerged as a creature without conscience or scruples, with an almost irritable desire to get on with it. When the beat ran the advert and she answered it on school notepaper, the editor called the principal's office to summon her from double maths to offer her the job, and she realised she was going to work for the best and biggest music paper in the world. Six weeks later, she was sitting in the lap, if not of luxury, and of Gary Pride, sniffing amphetamine sulfate through a £50 note. Gary Pride was a rising young pop star who made awful records, had an ugly face and a beautiful smile which made you forget how basically worthless he was. At least everyone but Susan. She thought he was a scumbag. She slept with him because by doing one unpleasant thing, Gary, she was made immune to the multitude of unpleasant things she might otherwise be cornered into doing. Of course, Gary Pride didn't know this. Like all shallow men, he believed in true love. He wrote songs for her. He stayed faithful, by and large, to her because she was still uncalloused inside her Lewis Leather's second skin. Also because she worked on the beat. Also because she had been a virgin his first. You're a what? A virgin, she whispered. I don't sleep with virgins, he glared vengefully. I'm sorry, Gary. He shook his head with infinite wisdom. How was you to know? You're a good girl, Susan. The gleam of infinite lechery dawned in his bloodshot eyes. I might as well be hanged for a sheep as a lamb, I suppose. Before the night was over, she was sitting on his face. Now she was sitting in his lap in his dressing room after the show at the Hammersmith Odeon. 
and he was showing her towards an exotic-looking girl with a nose ring. I fancy a nice bit of dyke action, he was whispering. Charming. The crowd did a passable impersonation of apres ski, Red Sea, as Susan and the girl slid to the floor. What's your name? Shara. I'm Susan. Jesus, H, the old Gary pried. You want the room cleared so you can tell each other your life stories? Now nah, eat it. The two girls slipped from their scuffed leather skins under which they were naked. The silence dripped saliva. Shearer had surprisingly emerald green pubic hairs and a tattoo just below her navel, warning, keep off the grass. Susan got down to grazing with a vengeance. Gary Pride bought friends, but most of all he bought drugs, hash, speed, cocaine, opium.